HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins. I work for Fairway Markets in the New York area, and we're awfully proud to support Heritage Radio, and we care so much about everything that goes on out here at Roberta's in their studio because they talk to people who are, are serious about food, and that's what we are at Fairway, is we're serious about food. We, we just care very deeply about, about you as a, as a customer and how you cook and what you cook with and how you entertain, and, and that's why we love to support Heritage Radio, because it, it, it's pretty much the same thing. It's wanting to, to find happiness through serious food and people who are serious about it, and and care about learning everything there is to learn about it. And that's, that's, we're kindred spirits. If it's something worth having in your kitchen, you're going to find it at, at Fairway. And if there's somebody worth talking to about food, you're going to find them on Heritage Radio, and we will be supporting you guys for a long, long time. At Fairway, I'm your personal grocer, Steve Jenkins, Fairway Market. Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Woods, your host. And a couple of episodes back, I did a show where I discussed being a vegetarian versus being a meat eater. The episode was called, We're Meant to Eat Meat. That's why we have these little pointy teeth on the side. Maybe listen to it. Uh, Because I wanted to dispel some of the mythology of the two isms. Those isms being vegetarianism and veganism. The mythology of the culture that makes vegetarians and vegans smug and feel superior to us carnivores. And I just wanted to point out that nobody really knows what we're supposed to be eating. Nutritional science has only existed for about 100 years, and we don't really know anything. But we do have these little pointy teeth on the sides 
that we were born with that were meant to tear into meat. That's what they're designed for. So that should give us somewhat of a clue. But what I really wanted to dissect as well is, is that mythology behind vegetarianism. Things like that being a vegetarian is more green, that it's better for you, better for the planet, that you have a smaller carbon footprint as a vegetarian, that it's healthier. That's healthier in word quotes. Things like that. The mythology that surrounds the worlds of vegans and vegetarians and tries to convince them and us that it's a better choice than being a meat eater, which I believe it's most likely not. But maybe you should go back and listen to that show because I don't really have time to go back into all of that today. But what I do want to talk about is that that mythology again this week. And we're going to get to that a little bit later in the show. But the point of this week's show is that a vegetarian or a vegan could make the case that being a vegetarian or a vegan is greener and healthier, etc. If they were really, truly vegetarians or vegans. But most of them aren't. Now, I know people are already like, you know, their claws are out, the hackles are up. But the, and I say that they're not because technically they eat no animal products, but the way they eat is probably worse for their health and certainly worse for the environment. Now, before we just, you know, before I dive into that, you know, let's just point it out. Let's just clarify. Let's define A vegan is someone who eats no animal products whatsoever, right? So no dairy, no eggs, no honey. They don't wear leather. They don't wear silk. They won't use soap that has lanolin in it because that comes from sheep. Okay, no animal products whatsoever. Whereas a vegetarian just won't eat meat or poultry or fish. But sometimes they eat eggs and they eat dairy, ovo, lacto. You know, it all depends. Many shades of gray out there. And so... I have no problem with people choosing not to eat animals. That's fine. Choose away. Everyone has the right to make that decision, and that is totally fine with me. Now, whether it's an ethical choice or a religious choice, an animal rights choice, an enviro choice, whatever choice, it's your choice. And I am pro-choice almost all the way across the board. Pro-choice. But by making the choice... To not eat animals or animal-derived foods, it means that instead, shouldn't you only be eating things, eating foods that are lower on the food chain than those animals, like plants and fruits and nuts and seeds, right? That's what being a vegetarian or a vegan is about, isn't it? But that's not always the case. Exhibit A. Now, if you listen to the Pointy Teeth show, you heard this story before, but just stick with me. Exhibit A. A couple of months ago, I was at the gym and I was watching TV because sometimes on the treadmill, I watch TV. It's okay. I'm not ashamed. And I was watching Oprah before she went off the air. I was at the gym. I was watching Oprah. And Oprah did this show about veganism and going vegan. And she challenged her staff to eat vegan for a week. They were all going to become vegans for a week so they could all be so totally healthier and greener and smugger and everything because if like all those celebrities are vegans, then someone's doing something right, right? And so she brought in this like so-called vegan expert nutritionist, which to me is a total oxymoron. And they went to Whole Foods, of course, 
to show the staff how easy it was going to be for them to be vegan. Only, she didn't show the staff how to only eat non-meat foods, like vegetables and fruit and seeds and nuts. She showed them how to sub out their animal foodiness products with the vegan foodiness products. She didn't show her staff and the millions of tragic, sad, lost, overweight middle American women who watched the show, present company excluded, how to be a vegetarian or a vegan or how it was to be a vegetarian. She just showed everyone how to be a foodiness vegetarian or, here's a new word, a foodiness-tarian. Foodiness-tarian. Crap, now that's another word I'm going to have to trademark. Shit. Anyway, seriously, I know I brought this whole Oprah thing up before, but I was so angry and traumatized and maddened by it that I'm still kind of working my way through it. So please, loyal fans, just bear with me. I'm trying to calm down. It was what actually drove me to start doing this show. Let's Get Real came out of the experience of watching that show because I felt like, holy crap, this is Oprah. People listen to her and they are so misguided on this show and so getting the message wrong that... Someone has to get out there and be the new, you know, be the new uh, messiah. I guess that's me. Anyway, they all bought carts full of packaged, processed, soiling green, vegan foodiness products that were designed to replicate or at least approximate the experience of eating meat so that they wouldn't feel too cheated or deprived out of their former omnivorous ways. And I say omnivorous because... Carnivores are also omnivores. We eat everything. So they bought all this stuff and they ate it. And of course, it didn't turn out very well. Because if the whole point of being a vegetarian or a vegan is to consciously reject eating animals, why do you want to recreate the experience of eating them? And those processed veggie and vegan products are just that. They are processed. It's a processed experience. Seriously, majorly processed like each one has 20 or 30 ingredients in it kind of processed vegan foodiness is like methadone it approximates the meat eating or heroin experience but it isn't quite satisfying enough to satiate you like the meat or the heroin so you keep coming back for more fakery just do the heroin or like tranny chasers who are men who are into men but need them to look like women because they can't quite acknowledge that they're into men. And so they pretend that they're women, of course, until the underwear comes off. That's the vegan foodiness paradox. You're into meat, but you're in denial about it. So just eat the meat or accept that you're gay. You can't pray away the meat. So instead of showing these poor schlubs, these Oprah staffers, how to maybe fill their carts up with food, like vegetables and grains and beans and nuts and mushrooms and plants. They loaded them up with veggie burgers and faux chicken chicken nuggets. C-H-I-K apostrophe N. Chicken nuggets. Soy sausage crumbles. Non-dairy cheese-like products. I say non-dairy cheese-like products because you can't call it cheese if it's not dairy. Baconless bacon, which is even... More offensive than turkey bacon, if you listened last week, and all kinds of other scary, industrially processed, but probably organic foodiness products, which gives organics a bad name. Then, of course, they followed them home and they had a good laugh. Everybody laughed. Everybody cried watching the staff try to feed 
their families with these products. And, of course, there was marital strife and tantrum-throwing children and teary video blog posts where they went off into the closet where the hidden video camera was and confessed and... Everyone was generally unhappy, but then a few of them lost a couple pounds and then maybe they discovered that the soy chips tasted almost as good and oily and salty as the Pringles and everyone had a good laugh and everyone came away feeling better about themselves and living their best lives, which is what Oprah wants for everyone, most especially the corporate food power structure, which produces, not grows, produces all these foodiness vegetarian products who were getting their big day in the sun. She was making sure that everyone drank the vegetarian foodiness Kool-Aid. And seriously, Kool-Aid is about as vegetarian as the products that they were flacking on the show. And the vegan foodiness industry got a huge Oprah-shaped plug. And people came away from the show even more misinformed. And now Oprah's off the air. So I can't send the letter that I've been composing in my head to her about it since I saw it which I hoped would then get me on the show so I could start spreading my gospel to the masses, which is just eat real food. And nobody even questioned the choices of the products or the fact that they were pushing products instead of saying, maybe eat some kale, maybe cook some beans. Except poor old Michael Pollan, who was on as the real food expert who quietly and politely sat there on the stage and waited his turn and who barely had a chance to make his plea that everyone just eat real food, mostly plants and not too much, which is great advice and works for all the isms, vegetarian, vegan, omnivore. A nice, polite, smart, rational Michael Pollan couldn't even get a chance to get his message out because Oprah kept one-upping him and stealing the camera. So what did we come away from that show learning? that Oprah really only listens to three people, (laughs) her lighting experts, Gail, and her sponsors. Well, that's what we learned. But we also learned that the real problem isn't in eating meat. The problem is in eating foodiness. Whether it's carnivore foodiness or vegetarian foodiness, they're basically interchangeable. And grocery shopping means a cart full of packets and frozen freezer boxes, not a cart full of kale and black beans and oatmeal. So if I were to choose to become a vegetarian today, which I would not, where would I have to go to find the garden where they grow the garden burgers? Is it in Eden? Maybe the Garden of Eden was the place where the garden burgers grow. Or the vegetarian chicken ranch where the vegan chicken nuggets are raised. Or where is the mock duck farm? Or the tofurkey pen? If a fox got into the faux hen house, what would she do? Take a bite out of a soy nugget? Maybe. And then she'd probably run away screaming in terror. It would be like that poor fox stumbled into the vegetarian nightmare version of the island of Dr. Moreau. Now, animals are at the top of the food chain. We are animals. Pointy teeth, remember? And by an accident of evolution, we discovered fire. And we learned how to harness it and control it. And so we learned how to cook. And we started cooking our meat. That allowed us to eat a lot more of it. Because it was cooked, we didn't have to chew it all day. Therefore, we ate a lot more protein. Our brains grew. We got bigger brains. 
and we climbed down out of the trees and we sat down together and we ate our roasted haunches of mammoth and we wrote reviews of how well it was cooked and who cooked it and made our way up to the top link of the food chain where we then became superstar chefs with our own Manhattan restaurants and invited to be judges on cooking reality shows. And it doesn't get any higher up the food chain than that. That is it. And because cooking our food meant that the food became a lot more nutritionally available to us, more concentrated, more concentrated, easier to chew and digest, it gave us more energy, like I said, to grow our big brains, for better or for worse, of course. Now, along with growing those big brains. Whoops, I just lost my place here. What happened? Oh, there we go. Along with growing those big brains, our guts started to shrink. We got smaller guts because we didn't need to digest and process all of that fiber anymore because cooking was helping with that. We got to that top link of the food chain, and for better or for worse, that is where we've been. That's where we've stayed. And once we were up there at the top, we realized that cooking freed us from a lot of the time we'd spent looking for food and a lot of the time we had spent chewing. So we had all this spare time and we started inventing things with our food, like agriculture and farming. And we started tinkering and toying and harnessing the power of nature and science and chemicals and genetics and molecules. And then we invented food scientists and flavorists and food engineers and R&D chefs, research and development chefs, and product developers and industrial agriculture and proteins grown in a lab and artificial sweeteners and Twinkies and tofu hot dogs and that whole great big wonderful world that I call Yes, we can all say it together. Foodiness. So here we are at the top and look at what we have achieved. It's a foodiness miracle. And because we have so much choice in our food and it's so plentiful and available due to better living through chemistry and also interchangeable, we have the first world luxury of rejection. We have so much choice in our food that we can choose to reject to eat whole categories of it like animals. And that's pretty funny slash ironic, if not funny, haha. Because eating those animals is what brought us such glory in the animal kingdom in the first place. And what a luxury it is indeed to actually be wealthy enough in food to be able to say, I choose to reject that food. Now you can choose to reject whomever or whatever you want. This is America. And at least until next November, we still have the right to choose. But foodiness always keeps you in its clutches if you've gone down that rabbit hole. The rabbit hole being made by the original vegetarians, of course. You remember when eating a salad was called eating rabbit food? That's what they used to say when I was a little kid. Eating rabbit food. Now salads come in big pre-made bags with gas-permeable membranes and little packets of dressing inside. So it's that foodiness firewall that I've talked about yet again. Whether it's meat or veg, things like garden burgers make you think that you're doing the right thing. It's from the garden, but it's a burger, so it must be better, right? Well, how many of these things in this list have you actually seen growing in a garden? Brown rice, okay, yeah, grows. Broccoli, yes. Water, carrots, onions, corn, Rolled oats, lentils, red bell peppers, green bell peppers, 
Yes. Oat fiber, ground flaxseed. Okay. Canola oil. Uh, do you know how it's made? Onion concentrate, salt, methyl cellulose, natural flavors, soy sauce, autolyse yeast extract, hydrolyzed wheat gluten, evaporated cane juice, spices, again, caramel color, garlic powder, yeast extract, onion powder, soy lecithin. That's actually not a terrible sounding list, except the methyl cellulose. I took a paper making class in college and we used methyl cellulose. I don't want to eat paper. Unless it's got, you know, something infused into it. But, you know, that's from the 70s. Overall, these don't have that much bad stuff in it. But how many ingredients do they have? 27. 27 ingredients in your average veggie burger. How many ingredients in a hamburger? Mm, Hopefully, just one. And the original Garden Burger flavor actually has 38 ingredients. This is the new, improved, fewer ingredient version. So the first big problem with all of this, of course, is actually environmental. I've talked about this before. To get all those garden ingredients from the garden to you means a whole lot of picking, processing, packaging, shipping, refrigerating, unpacking, reprocessing, repackaging, refreezing, shipping, and refreezing again. It's hard to say if the carbon footprint of that is bigger than that of a grass-fed cow who lives on grass and chews grass and poops into the grass and then is killed slaughtered, butchered, ground up, and shipped. My money is on the cow. The second problem with the foodiness firewall is that it prevents you from seeing, tasting, or experiencing real food because it blocks all your senses and removes you from the real food experience over and over until you are so blind and deaf you can't tell the difference. So foodiness vegetarian products keep you from ever seeing vegetables which keeps you from knowing what they look or taste like, which keeps you from knowing how to shop for them or prepare them, which makes you reliant on foodiness vegetarian products. And before you know it, you're as dependent on pre-prepared foodiness products as you are dependent on laser hair removal because you've forgotten how to shave your own armpits. And then there's the third foodiness problem, which is the unspoken conceit that the foodiness product is better than real food. So a veggie burger is better than vegetables. You'd rather eat the industrial patty than the real thing because you believe in it that much more. That's why there's a soup ad now where they boast in the ad about how the vegetables in the soup are farm grown as opposed to what? Where else would the vegetables be grown? It's like the free gift you get when you buy your mascara at Macy's. comes with a free gift. Isn't a gift supposed to be free by definition? Isn't it a gift? Or have we gone so far down that rabbit hole that we've lost our grounding in the reality that all vegetables are farm grown, even if the definition of a farm can mean a chemically soaked dust field in Mexico? (laughs) Not the idyllic farm with the white house on the label, but still a farm, technically. We haven't begun to grow our vegetables in a lab yet. Although we do now have lab-grown proteins now. Have you heard of something called corn? Okay, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, more about veggie foodiness.
Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. That was kind of crazy. Remember that if you like this show, if you love this show, you can always, of course, find it on heritageradionetwork.com. But you can also find it on letsgetrealshow.com where you can listen to all of them. You can also leave me comments on there or email me. And I've been hearing from a lot of people lately, and I love that. Keep them coming. You can also become a fan of the show on Facebook. Just look for Let's Get Real on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you. And you can follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. I'm trying to get Michelle Obama to listen to my show. And she just joined Twitter last week. So you should tweet Michelle Obama and tell her she should listen to the show. Don't you think this is like straight up her alley? Those arms of hers? Anyway, back to vegetarian foodiness. What I think is the true evil in the vegetarian foodiness world is those meat simulacra products. Remember last week we learned the word simulacra? The tofu dogs, the chicken nuggets, the corn patties. Corn, Q-U-O-R-N, is a mycoprotein. Mycoproteins are mushroom-based proteins, which inherently are not bad things. Grown in a lab. So corn is sort of this weird meat substitute product grown in a lab made from mushrooms. It's creepy stuff. It's Soylent Green. It is weird. And most of those veggie foodiness products, of course, are made from soy. Love the soy and the corn. And and all those other genetically modified commodity crops that we now know are making us sick and fat and diabetic. Hello, Paula Dean, because we eat too much of them and they're grown as monocultures, which means that there's no genetic diversity within the crops. And so they have to heavily douse them with pesticides and fertilizers because they have no natural defenses anymore. And our entire food system is based on them. But you protest and you say, no, smug vegan. That's the smug vegan speaking. My microwave gluten free vegan turkey fajita wrap is organic. So there. Well, just because a grain is organic doesn't mean that it's not a GMO or that it's even good for you. Soy and corn are still soy and corn. They're originally designed by nature to feed animals. And really, for them, not even so much because the animals are really meant to eat grass. And not the genetically engineered super hybridized versions of frankencrops that are now grown, especially not for us. I don't think that's what Mother Nature intended for us to eat when we invented agriculture 10,000 years or so ago, at least not in the form of a vegan turkey fajita wrap. So, as always, what are you to do? What's the solution, you ask? As I pointed out before, some of the areas our food are easy to get real about and others are hard. This one is easy and hard. It's easy in that if you want to be a vegetarian, all you have to do is not buy foodiness vegetarian products. Don't take the easy route out. Don't cheat. No one likes a cheater. Instead, buy and eat non-meat real food like vegetables and fruits and seeds and nuts and beans and grains and everybody's happy. But let's get real about it. It's also hard because it means you're going to have to plan and shop. You're going to have to learn how to cook a little bit, people. You may have to soak some beans. You may have to wash and cook some vegetables. You may have to buy miso. All that stuff. Because, you know, if you're a vegan, you have to eat things like miso. Otherwise, you get vitamin B12 deficiency. But 
are you doing this? Are you a vegan or a vegetarian because you have a conviction or a philosophy or something like that? Maybe you have an environmental conscience. Maybe it's an animal rights thing. Maybe it's for your health. Or maybe you're doing it because some celebrity is doing it and she lost 20 pounds and you do it because they do it. I hope not. But if so, at least let me know that you're modeling yourself after someone like Drew Barrymore, who's cool, and not after someone like Snooki. I can't imagine she... I mean, she's pretty dumb, but I don't think even she would be a vegan. Eating real... Is hard no matter what, but it's totally possible. Of course, if you're Drew Barrymore and you're vegan, you'll have a chef or two or 10 preparing all your meals for you, and they'll already have your little favorite vegan dish ready for you when you walk to your favorite table at Spago. But if you can't give up the taste of meat, then you should not be a vegetarian in the first place because fruits and vegetables don't taste like meat and they never will. And that's the whole point of them. They taste like fruit and they taste like vegetables because meat tastes like meat and they taste like themselves. Broccoli will never taste like hamburgers. Carrots will never taste like hot dogs. Kale is no substitute for bacon. But neither is soy bacon or tofu hot dogs or makfo vegan anything. So if you can't give up the hot dogs, then eat the fucking hot dogs, not the tofu dogs. So if you're willing to give up meat and the taste of meat and willing to do a lot of shopping and preparing of fruits and vegetables and seeds and beans and nuts, then you can be a vegetarian. If you aren't, don't try to front like you are by buying pepperoni-flavored soy pizza vegan gluten-free wraps. Now you can do it. If you want to do it, you have a conviction, you can do anything you set your mind to. Don't you hate when people say that to you? I set my mind to being 5'4". I'm 4'11", and I've tried really hard. It's not always true. But you can do this. Our great-grandmas did it without microwaves or freezers. Convenience food may be convenient, but in the end, it's a lazy cop-out. Stick with those convictions. It'll always be easier for you to throw a whole chicken in the oven and eat it for three days than to cook a bunch of vegan meals. But like I said... Until next November, we Americans still have choice. Now, you made your choice. You said, I choose to reject animal foods. I'm making this choice. So you made your choice. You do the work. You made your vegan bed. You talked the talk. Now you have to lie in that bed on those organic hemp sheets and walk the vegan walk. Don't fall into the foodiness rabbit hole, though. And while you're out there walking your walk, I'll be here roasting a chicken. Or maybe I'll be out in the garden planting garden burger seeds. You'll know where to find me. Now, on next week's show, we're going to talk about how you cannot replace a meal. Even if a product says it's a meal replacement bar or a meal replacement shake, you can't replace a meal with a bar or a shake. And remember, always remember this. If you don't want to eat shit, make sure you listen to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. We'll see you next week.
Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.